That's a beautiful song, and it reminds us that sometimes when there's storms in our lives, the peace that we need comes from Jesus Christ. So good to have each of you with us tonight. We're going to begin this evening in the book of Job. Job chapter 2, encourage you to get your Bibles turned over there. Job is the beginning of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. You find the book of Psalms and go right in front of Psalms and you'll, you'll come to the book of Job. And we have several guests with us this evening. We're thankful you carved a little bit of your time to come and to worship our God and to look into the scriptures as we try to encourage and help one another in times that we are in. We're thankful for all of that. You know, in, in the world of communication, it, it's essential to get the message across, to understand the message. And sometimes the message is not understood. And sometimes when you put out short statements, particularly on signs, they can be misunderstood. And I'll give you just a few examples of that. For instance, it says, best sausage supper in St. Louis, come and eat Pastor Tom. I don't think they meant that they're going to eat Pastor Tom, or Pastor Tom is a sausage, but it sure seems like that. Here's another one. That's it. I can turn around and read this one. It says, we have trouble sleeping. We have sermons. Come hear one. All right. That's a little uh, too personal, I think. Here's another one. Honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. All right. And then this one takes us into our lesson this evening. It says, we love hurting people. Well, that can be taken many ways, can't it? And sometimes people will have to admit, I have been hurt by the people who are supposed to help me. And so in the book of Job this evening, we, we go to chapter 2, and we notice verse 11 through 13, where there the Bible says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all his adversity that had come upon him, they each came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Nathanite, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. When they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each one of them tore his robe and threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great." The friends came to help hurting Job. And that always puts before us, how do we help somebody who's going through things? And for this congregation, right now we're in a season of a lot of hurt. We have a lot of families that are going through all kinds of different things. From grave illnesses, to deaths, to all kinds of things like that. And so this evening, what I want to do and share with you is just a simple idea. How do you mend a hurting heart, a broken heart? Back in the 70s, there was a pop group called the Bee Gees. And they made a song about breaking up with somebody. And this was the title of their song. And in that song, and how can you mend a broken heart? How can you stop the rain from falling? Please help me mend my broken heart and let me live again. And I think as we look in the scriptures, we understand that God calls upon his people to do those very things. 
There's passages like the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, verse 18, where the Bible there says to comfort one another with these words. In the next chapter of Thessalonians, he talks about there to, to admonish the unruly, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak. God calls upon us to do that. And in the book of Galatians, in chapter 6, we're to bear one another's burdens. And so, indeed, before us is this idea of how do we do this? And so this evening, I want to share with you simply ten practical things that you can do to help our family. They need you, and we need to see how important these things are. Let's begin, first of all, by noticing as we run through the Gospels real quickly how Jesus did these things himself. And what's interesting, when you do the 32,000-foot view and we look at the Gospels as a whole, you notice Jesus never found lost dogs. Now, you know somebody in the first century world lost their dog. But you don't find Jesus doing a miracle to find a lost dog. You don't find Jesus trying to find somebody a job. We don't find Jesus trying to help somebody with their grades. We don't find Jesus trying to help somebody to make the team. But what we find is Jesus hurting, helping the hurting. Those who are helpless. Those who are desperate. Those who needed him so much. So, for instance, in the Gospel of Matthew, we come across this passage here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. It says, as Jesus went along from there, it says, two blind men followed him, crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. And then we find again in the Gospel of Matthew, here in chapter 15, and a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Staying within that same story, she would later on say, Lord, help me. And again, we find examples of this in Matthew 17. Lord, have mercy on my son. Luke chapter 17, he entered a village and ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. They raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. The very idea that we are without help. We're hopeless. We're desperate. That's the kind of people we find Jesus helping here. In Luke chapter 7, as he approached the gate of a city, a dead man was being carried out. Why do you carry dead men out? They're going to a funeral. That's what they're doing. The only son of his mother. We, in biblical times, that meant you have no help. Your help was your son. And she was a widow. So she's on her own. And a sizable crowd followed from that city with her. As you follow in the context there, Jesus would raise that young man from the grave. We look again in Mark chapter 5, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, had endured much at the hands of many physicians, had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but had rather grown worse. Her condition has fallen apart. And so what I want you to see is when we look in the Bible, we look at who Jesus helped. It wasn't somebody who said, Jesus, I lost my keys, can you help me find my keys? It wasn't Jesus, you know, I, I would really like to have a raise. Go talk to my boss tomorrow. No, what we find is broken, miserable, desperate, hopeless people. 
Again, we find in Mark chapter 5, just before really the section we just read, one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well. Over and over, what we read through all this is tears and pains and the desperation about these things. Now, as we head into the holiday season, joyous occasion for so many families. But for a lot of families, there's a chair that's empty. The chair is empty because someone has passed away. Or a chair is empty because there's been a misunderstanding and the family is not on the same page. And there's some difficulties with these things. And so we, we look at this lesson and we see it's running through all of us that we live in a painful world. And God calls upon us, his people, to be the instruments to help. And so oftentimes we ask ourselves, how? What am I supposed to do? And so that's what we're going to look at this evening. Let's begin, first of all, as we think about these, this lesson, let's begin by understanding three things that we need to understand about pain. And the first thing we need to understand about pain is pain tends to bring out the worst in all of us. They are scared. You're seeing them at their lowest point. They're out of patience sometimes. Sometimes they've been in the valley for a long, long time. Sometimes they long to return to normal, but they realize normal may never come back again. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, they are tired. They may not think logically. They may not talk logically. They may not reason biblically. You have to understand when somebody is hurting, you're seeing them at the lowest point of their life. And yet God calls upon us to be there. Secondly, people who hurt oftentimes wear a mask to hide how they truly feel. We do that because sometimes we're embarrassed. We do that sometimes because we think no one will understand, or worse, they don't care. And we sometimes do that because we're private people, and we just don't want to share those things. And so a lot of people carry pain that's on the inside. Outside, they look great. You walk in here normal, and we ask you, how are you doing? You respond, I'm doing fine. But deep on the inside, there's something in your life, and you're hurting. Now, we need to understand that when we wear masks, it leads us to suffering by ourselves. That's why God calls upon us to be there for each other. Sometimes this messes with our faith. Sometimes this messes with our relationship with the Lord. And oftentimes it's just simply not the way God wants us to be. And then thirdly, whether they realize it or not, people in pain need help. They need help with physical things. They need help with spiritual things. And so a closed heart, an indifferent attitude... A lack of action can do more to kill a church than anything else. And I think when we, when we go through lessons like this, it helps us to realize that just about every one of us has been helped by someone else in the past. And even if we have not been helped by someone else, God has been there for us. And God has helped us time and time again. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Titus, if you will. One notice two expressions in the book of Titus. This phrase is found five times in Titus. We're going to look at just two of them. Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, 
And here he says in, in verse 7, he talks about the young men to be sensible and all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds. That's what we're doing. We're a people who don't just think good thoughts. We're just not nice people. We're people who do good deeds. And then in the third chapter, and in verse 14, and let our people also learn to engage in good deeds. There's that phrase again, as the Bible emphasizes that. Now, when we go back to our Job passage, I want you to know some things about Job and his friends. First thing is, they came. That's what the passage says. They came, each from different places. That was very important. The next thing we notice is that they cried. They saw Job, and as Romans chapter 12 teaches us, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And they sat down, and they cried. We also notice in this passage that they stayed. Seven days they stayed there. It wasn't just a quick drive-through. Job, sorry, hope things get better, and I'm on to other things. They stayed seven days. And what's also interesting is they were quiet. Because sometimes there are no words. Sometimes words ruin the situation. And they remained quiet. Now, if you got your note card now, I want to share with you 10 things that make a difference. These are things that we need to be thinking about at the season we're in right now. Things that we can do to help the congregation, help those who are hurting in different ways. One of the first things we would put on that list is to let the hurting know that you're thinking about them. Job knew that because his friends came. His friends sat down, his friends cried, and they stayed for seven days. He knew they cared. And you can say, well, I care about you. But how do they know? Unless you tell them. Unless you write them. Unless you call them. Unless you visit them. You see what I'm saying? It's that text, it's that card, it's that phone call, it's that visit. Because suffering alone makes the suffering worse. And sometimes people may say, I'm in this congregation, it's a big church, there's a lot of people, but no one cares about me. And so one of the things you can do to make a difference is to let somebody know I'm thinking about you. And that's going to lead to some more things. Secondly, use your words carefully. The proverb writer would say this in Proverbs 25, verse 11, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstance. And so what we mean by this is be careful what you say. Again, we remember Job's friends sat for seven days and they didn't say anything to Job. Now when you study that book of Job, and, and it, it's really interesting biblically, because it's the longest thing we have in our Bible of dialogue by man where God doesn't say anything. There's 32 chapters where Job and his friends are going back and forth on things. And God doesn't speak. But it all started when Job first started talking. But for seven days, they were quiet. People will remember what you say. They'll do that. Most of us that are my age and older, whose parents are on the other side, oh, we can still remember dad saying something. Oh, I can still remember mama saying something. Oh, yeah. And people will remember things. 
and that is important. So don't make promises you cannot keep. Don't state things that you do not know are true. Oh, I know it's going to get better. How do you know that? You want it to get better. I pray that it gets better. My wish is it gets better. But I can't say I know it's going to get better because you don't know that. Don't come with 40 questions because that just ruins the situation. And so again, when we think about this, what can I do for somebody? Be careful with what you say. In the book of Job chapter 4, as Eliphaz begins his speech in reply to Job, he talks about how Job has been to other people. It makes this grand statement in chapter 4 about Job. He says, your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. Now, he's not talking about physically, but I've seen this physically. I remember my dad, he would get up, and he would not want to use his walker. And boy, he was leaning this way, and, leaning, and we're always trying to grab him because we know he's going to fall. He's not talking about tottering that way. He's talking about tottering spiritually. Tottering in your heart, tottering emotionally. Your knees are weak, not physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And notice what helped him. Your words, your words strengthened him. Your words made a difference. And so when we think about what can I do to someone that's hurting, I need to think about what I want to say. And be careful with that, because your words can make all the difference. Number three, pray, 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 pray. And that's not the last thing. And sometimes we think, oh, yeah, I'll pray about it. And we just say, yeah, whatever, I'll pray. No, that's huge. You're inviting heaven. Say the hurting person's name. Say them. I've said Vicky's name about 100 times this, this last two days. And I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to say it a lot tomorrow. Okay, say the name to heaven. Because you got them on your mind and you're thinking about them. And again, prayer makes a difference. I want you to notice this passage in the book of Colossians chapter 4. Epaphras, who's one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. The NIV says it this way, wrestling. Wrestling. When I was growing up, the wrestlers were Dick the Bruiser. Anybody remember Dick the Bruiser? And when you think about wrestling, you think about pouring it all in there. And so it wasn't just quickly saying a prayer and I'm done. I am laboring. I'm earnestly saying their name to heaven. Number four, when you can be there, nothing beats your presence. If you can be there, be there. If your time allows it, if you can do it. Nothing beats that. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, and again, we notice this in, in the life of Job. His three friends came from afar. They made an appointment, and they gathered together to be with Job. That is impressive, and that is important. In 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, the apostle Paul would describe himself by saying this, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We are afflicted on every side, conflicts without and fears within. Inside, outside, we're bothered. But God, verse 6, who comforts the press, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Titus showed up, and that made the difference. And so, again, how valuable that is when we think about something I 
can do. Something else you can do is help them see Jesus. And sometimes when somebody's hurting, they forget about Jesus. And sometimes when they're hurting, they don't think about some things that they need to realize. But again, lots of questions, lots of things that you can help them with biblically. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to the uh, Thessalonian book, 1 Thessalonians 4. We read verse 18 a while ago, but let's go back and catch the, the beginning of this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and begin verse 13. Here he talks about the death of some of the brethren there. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who fall asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive remain to the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What are these words? These words are not my words. It's not the words of Hallmark on the card. These words are the words of Scripture. These words are absolute. These words are true because they come from God. And so one thing you can help a person realize is that, that God understands. In the book of Psalms, chapter 56, you have taken account of my wonderings, put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? No one understands sorrow more than God does. God alone saw his own son die upon the cross according to his will. And so help each other with these things. Number six, what you can do, little things can make a big difference. Sometimes we're always looking for the big thing. Man, I just wish I could pay your hospital bill, but I can't afford that. I wish I could do something big for you. Little things make a difference. And it's the little things that's noticed. And the little things, whether it's just a gift card, whether it's just a, a, a card sent in the mail, whether it's just a prayer, or a text, something like that is significant. And don't ever forget that. Don't wait for something big. Do what you can do right now. Now, interesting about Job's friends. When you read the book of Job, there's not one prayer from the lips of his friends. Now, it's hard to think that they didn't pray for him. But nothing's ever found in scriptures that they did. A second thing they never did, they never invited Job home with them. Job is sitting there, he's lost his family, he, he's lost his income, he's lost his health. Job, just come home with me. But they never say that one time. Not one time. They never offer to rebuild his flock. Remember the passage, how all those different armies came in there and, and those marauders, they took away his sheep, they took away his camels, they took away everything. Well, one of his friends might say, well, Job, I got a couple sheep, I'll loan them to you until they start breeding and then you can start your flock again. Or Job, I'm going to give you some money or I'll at least loan you some money to get you back on your feet. Not one time is that found. Not one time. And they didn't ask him to take him to the doctor. I'm sure they had doctors way back then. Job, you're hurting. Can I just at least take you to the doctor? When you look at what they did, they didn't do anything. 
And so we look at this and we realize, well, you know, I can't do that. I can't replace somebody's flock. I can't buy somebody's this. I can't do that. But you can do the little thing. And the little thing makes a mighty big difference as we think about all the things involved with that. Number seven, realize that loving someone involves taking risk. It always does. If somebody's hurting, they may say some things that they don't mean, but the pain comes out. Sometimes they may not be in the best mood, but you realize, I need to be there. I need to help them. And there are risks involved, but you're willing to take those risks because we are family. That's what family does. We be Christians, and that's what Christians try to do. Number eight, what we need to realize is sympathize, but don't try to solve things. Again, that's where the Romans 12 passage come in, to weep with those who weep. You know, Job's friends sought to find a cause. And so for 32 chapters, they're back and forth with Job, and they're pointing things out. They, they said, well, maybe your children did wrong, and God punished them. Maybe you did wrong, and God's punishing them. Over and over, they're trying to find the blame for these things, and all it does, it makes things worse. Some pain is a result of the broken world we live in. Some pain is a result of wrong choices that either we made or someone else has made. But what we need to see is saying, I told you so, or trying to find the blame doesn't lessen the pain. Care for them. Help mend that heart. But don't worry about trying to solve these things. Let God do the solving. That's where it belongs. Number nine, stay with it. Stay with it. Psalms 23 verse 4 talks about going through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a journey. It's not just a day. And this is the thing. I've done so many funerals in my life. You know, we, we gather. It's a sad occasion. And people come from everywhere. We have the funeral. We go back to life. We go back to our jobs. Everything's back to normal except for the family. And a week goes by, and it's still not normal. It will never be normal. A month goes by. A year goes by. And the point I'm making with this is remember those things. Remember those things. And, and, and remember that, okay, just because I showed up for this occasion or just because I gave some food, wonderful thing to do, but don't think that that's the end of it. They're not out of that valley yet. And so you need to stay with it and be there and help them over and over again. And then number 10, be blessed that you can be a blessing. Be blessed that God is using you as a vessel. Be blessed that through you, you can help mend a broken heart. Be blessed that you can do these things. Now, you cannot remove the pain as Jesus does, but you can bring comfort and encouragement. You can be like that cup of chicken noodle soup. You know, whenever you're sick, somebody always brings chicken noodle soup. Well, that's a good thing. You can be that warm comforter on a cold day that just makes a person feel better. It may not take the problem away. It may not take the pain away. But for a moment, what a difference you can make by doing those things. And so let's go back to the, if you will, to the book of Revelation as we end this evening. And, and those are just ten things I would just kind of park in your Bible somewhere and keep in mind. 
for twofold. Number one, right now there's a lot of things going on in this church family you can do to make a difference. Not one of us can do it all. There's just too much. But you can do what you can do. But also realize the way life is. Someday it's going to be your turn. And someday you'll be the one who's hurting. Someday you're the one who's planning the funeral. Someday you're the one who has somebody that's not going to make it. And realize when folks come, don't shut the door on them. Don't close them out of your heart. Realize they're just doing what God wants them to do. And that is to try to encourage you and help you and build you up. Let's go to the book of Revelation, if you will, chapter 22. Let's go, first of all, chapter 21, and then we'll go to chapter 22. You know, in a perfect world, which was the Garden of Eden, they never had to have sermons like this. But ever since the Garden of Eden, we needed sermons like this because the world is broken, because of sin, because of lots of reasons. This is a broken and hurting world, and we're part of that world. And so the Revelation writer would say in chapter 21, verse 4, And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. I've often felt like those first things are all connected to sin. Sin causes us to mourn. Sin causes us pain. Sin causes us to cry. But because of Jesus Christ, those things are done away. Now, I've had folks ask me before, why are we reaching heaven with tears in our eyes? He didn't say your eyes are dry today. Your eyes have tears, and God is taking that heavenly Kleenex and washing away or wiping away your, eye, your tears. And the Bible doesn't say why. There could be a zillion reasons why we go up there with tears, but we won't enter in there with tears. The tears will end. And then in the next page, and in verse 4, chapter 22, verse 4, it says in verse 3, And there shall no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, as bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. And so I share these simple, simple thoughts, just practical things, real simple things, things you already know, but we just need to be reminded of. Sometimes we go through seasons. Sometimes there's seasons where we see a whole bunch of new faces, and that's exciting. Sometimes there's seasons where a whole bunch of folks are coming to Jesus and getting baptized, and that's exciting. But then there are seasons like we're in right now where there seems to be a lot of hurt going on. And that's when God calls upon us. God's asking us to be his hands, his feet. Whether you're young, you're old, whatever you can do, hopefully from these list of 10 things, that will help us to say, well, tonight, before I close my eyes, I can say this person's name to God in prayer. Tomorrow morning, before I get real busy, I can go pull out a card and just sign my name and send it to somebody. Maybe I can see if there's something I can do by calling this family up. Is there something you need? Is there something I can do? Because all of us are becoming the hands, the feet, and the eyes of God through this. How do you mend a broken heart? It's mended through the love of Jesus Christ. And one of the blessings of walking through this life is having a church family. 
a family that we know is going to support us, it's going to be there for us, and it's going to help us. And that's one of the blessings we have in Christ. So it's times like this we need to rise to the occasion. Times like this we need to show the world and show each other that indeed we stand for Jesus and we're going to do what's right. Wish I could tell you three simple things and your pain would go away. Doesn't happen. I wish I could say, well, you know what? Just hold on for a day and the next day after that, it's all gone. That's not true. For some of us, this pain goes on and on and on. But also know Jesus goes on and on and on. And Jesus will always go on. And that's the hope that we have. See, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one. You need to realize what I'm missing in my life. I need help. I need hope. And just as Jesus was helping those people who were blind and lepers, and people who they would say, Lord, have mercy on us, we need that as well. Because without Jesus Christ, we are helpless and hopeless because of our sins. And maybe this lesson kind of spurned a little bit some of us. Maybe it may have pushed us just a little bit, challenged us just a little bit. Yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, my schedule's full. Yeah, I've got a lot of things to do this week. But think about my family, my family here. They need me. I need to step up. And hopefully those things will happen. Thank you so much. If you're subject, why don't you come as we stand, as we sing.